0: And so this morning, uh, Zach is going to uh, begin the series with his own testimony and witness to how he met the Father, and it's going to be rooted in the Gospel of Matthew chapter ten. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. If not, the words will be on the screen. We'll Mark, be reading verse 10. Um, excuse me verse seventeen through twenty three, and uh, I hope that you will join with me as we together hear the Word of the Lord. Mark ten. 17 to 23. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, and you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this, the, man fell, uh, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. Together, we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty.
1: Thanks be to God. As Pastor Jason said, my name is Zach Anderson. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant. Thank you for all the love and support. Uh, If you take anything away from that story, I want you to take away that if you sense the Lord is calling you to go somewhere and do something, but you can't really get a sense of how it will be possible, just go. And when the Lord calls you, he'll provide the way forward. Uh, Let's pray, and we'll jump into the scripture this morning. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for this church family, uh, for the love and support that we offer one another, that we get to follow Jesus alongside of each other with you as our guide and our strength, our joy. And we thank you for your word. Specifically this morning, we thank you for your word for us out of Mark chapter 10. I ask you, Father, that you would move me aside, that you would bind my tongue and my lips, that no false word might pass from them, but that you would speak as you often do, straight to the heart. We love you, Lord. Help us to be open uh, to hear from your spirit in this time. Thank you. Amen. So uh, would you rather be empty or full? Would you rather be empty or full? Let me give you a couple of specific examples to help you answer the question. Let's take, for example, your gas tank. Would you rather be empty or full? Full. Yes. All of us would rather be full in our gas tank than empty. This is an easy question. I like to start it off with a layup. How about this? Your bank account. Full. Full. Yeah. You can say in church that you'd rather have a full bank account. God is all right with that desire to not have an empty bank account. Another layup. And how how about your stomach? Would you rather have... The warm satisfaction of a full stomach or the angry mutterings of an empty one? All right, a little bit of dissonance in the room on that one. Um, Most of you I heard agreed with me that you'd rather have a full stomach. Uh, Thinking about emptiness and fullness this morning had me reflecting on some of my best experiences with food in my life. Uh, Number one is definitely, some of you may laugh, but it's definitely... This uh, authentically Italian pizza that I had in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was so good I had to eat it with my eyes closed and my mouth is watering now. Um, So I could probably come up with the name of the restaurant if you're going to Scottsdale. You have to go and try this brick oven authentically Italian pizza. It was amazing. But not number one, but in my top three experiences with food in my life uh, is the Brazilian Steakhouse. Have you ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? All right, more of you need to go to a Brazilian steakhouse. Brazilian steakhouse is an awesome experience. If you don't know what it's about, you show up, you have a little card at your place, and one side is red, one side is green. Red means stop bringing me incredible, delicious meat, and green means bring it on. And so you can kind of just flip it over, and the waiters will walk around with a big skewer full of meat and a knife, and if your card's green, they're putting some on your plate, and you already know my card's always green. One time, uh, I had some friends, this was probably two years ago, who invited me to participate in a Groupon for four to go to uh, a Brazilian steakhouse. And though I, like the rich young ruler, am young, I am neither rich nor a ruler, and so I do nice things via Groupon. Um, so I jumped on this Groupon with some friends, and we booked it like two weeks out so that we could make sure everyone who's a part of it could mark it on their calendars, which gave me plenty of time to grow in my anticipation. Now, this was not the first time I had been to a Brazilian steakhouse. It was the second time. And so I knew um, from some mistakes that I learned from the first time. And so I had a strategy. Uh, And as the day approached... I knew my strategy's locked in. I'm ready to crush this Brazilian steakhouse. And so I woke up on the day of the adventure. And did I eat breakfast? No, I did not eat breakfast. Did I eat lunch? No, I did not eat lunch. Did I have a snack when the fridge and the pantry were calling mutually with the the groanings of my stomach in the afternoon before it was almost time to go? No, I did not. Now, the other thing about a Brazilian steakhouse, if you've never been, uh, I'll just warn you in advance, they are kind of sneaky, you know, kind of conniving. They try to trap you because when you come in and sit down, the meat doesn't come to your table as fast as you would want it to, especially if you've been starving yourself all day. Um, And they have this little bar area with like salads and pastas and bread and cheeses and stuff. And it's just a trap, okay? Don't waste any stomach space on these tertiary food items, okay? you got to wait for the prize. Now, what's the point of this story? The point of this story is this. If you become full on the wrong things, you will no longer have room for the best thing. If you become full on the wrong things, you will no longer have room for the best thing. Emptiness can be good. And this is the story of the rich young ruler, and it's my story as well. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way... A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a dramatic experience. He runs up and falls on his knees. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in the most classic Jesus kind of way, completely ignores his question. As he often does, he responds not to the question that is asked apparently, but to the question that lies at the heart of the situation. And he responds in verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, Jesus is doing something truly amazing here in this response, and it's easy to miss if you don't stop and sit with it for just a second, and and we can uncover some clues as to what's at the heart of this situation with the rich young ruler. The first is in verse 18. The man had called Jesus, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, why are you calling me good? And you might wonder, like, Jesus, that's kind of a weird response because I think we can all agree that Jesus is objectively a good person and a good teacher, right? And I think we can also objectively agree that Jesus knew it, not in an arrogant, prideful kind of way, in a just humble, factual, Jesus just, he knew, this is Reality, I am a good person, I'm a good teacher, I'm, I'm Jesus, I'm the son of God. He knew it, so why is he giving this rich young ruler such a hard time? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. And then we get the first clue. No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. And what Jesus is doing is he's revealing that the rich young ruler doesn't quite get who Jesus is. If the rich young ruler knew that Jesus was God and he called him good teacher or good lord, good king, then Jesus would have been totally receptive to that. He says, no one is good except God alone. He reveals that the rich young ruler doesn't quite get who he is. And then in verse 19, Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And in here is the next clue and the last one we need to to see what's going on. Do these commandments sound familiar to you? Maybe from outside of this story between Jesus and the rich young ruler. That's good. These are some of the Ten Commandments. Six, to be precise. Now, uh, just a casual reading, you might not wonder uh, anything strange, notice anything strange about this. But if you pause for just a second, you might ask the text, a question. Jesus, why did you just mention these six of the ten? What about the other four? And if you begin to examine the six that he included and the four that he left out, you'll discover a trend. Jesus quoted to the rich young ruler the final six commandments of the 10. And they're the six commandments out of the 10 that deal with how we as human beings relate to other people, how we as human beings relate to other people. But the four that Jesus excluded are the four commandments that deal with how we as human beings relate to God. And what Jesus is doing is he's setting a little friendly, kind-hearted trap for the rich young ruler to walk right into. Because Jesus knew the rich young ruler intimately in ways that he never could have even understood. And, and the young ruler walks right into his trap in his response in verse 20. Teacher, he declared. Notice he dropped the good. Teacher, All these commands I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus knew this about the rich young ruler. So he laid out the ones that the rich young ruler was very comfortable with. I'm good at following these rules. I'm good at keeping these commands. And then in verse 21, classic Jesus. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That Jesus always loving people. He looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven Another way that we could read that verse is how hard it is for the full to enter the kingdom of heaven, because it wasn't just his wealth that was filling him up, but it was his performance. All these commands I've kept since I was a boy. Uh, I was born the first out of 10 kids in a Christian home. And the story of how I met the father, well, I only know about it because um, my parents have told me. My dad will tell the story that when I was four years old, I made my first articulation of faith. I was able to say as a four-year-old, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that God loved me and sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. That three days later, he rose from the grave, and all I have to do is believe and accept him into my heart and I can go to heaven instead of hell. I have no recollection of this story, and that's okay. Um, I also have no recollection of a point in my life where this wasn't my reality. Uh, I was born into a Christian household, as I said. I believe, as the story goes, my mother and father read scripture to me while I was in the womb. And so I just came out like reciting Bible verses. I grew up, and a part of my morning routine as a a young boy um, was to go through this checklist of every morning, this is what I would do, and it looked a little something like this. Step one, eat breakfast. Step two, brush your teeth, make your bed, take out the trash, have a quiet time. It was on my morning routine. Every single day as a young boy, I had a quiet time. Now, what this looked like is... Uh, Go and spend some time reading your Bible. Anything out of the Bible except for the Song of Solomon is on the table. (laughs) And uh, pray. And I didn't have much kind of discipleship on what that looked like, coaching on how to do that beyond uh, read your Bible except for Song of Solomon. And when you pray, make sure that you start by saying some nice things about God Then you can move into saying all the not nice things about yourself, confessing your sin. And then make sure you express some thanksgiving to God. And then finally, you can get to the real reason that you even sat down to pray, which is to ask God for stuff, stuff that you need to meet your needs. It's this acronym, ACTS. Uh, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, ACTS. This is how I was taught to pray. Maybe you were taught the same Uh, And so this was my life growing up, and the other thing about me is that not only was I born a firstborn, I was born a stereotypical firstborn, which means I am a rule follower at the heart of my existence. Um, and the thing about rule followers is that not only do they strive to follow all the rules, but also whenever they walk into a new setting, maybe you're a rule follower, you can relate to this. When you walk into a new environment, the first thing you do is you try to discover, okay, what are the rules of engagement here? When you discover the rules, then you can follow the rules and you can kind of thrive and just be better than everybody else in the, in the environment. And this was uh, how I lived my life. And I applied this to everything, including my faith. To me, a relationship with God was not about coming to someone totally surrendered, totally greater than me, but it was about coming to something and seeing how can I control this by understanding the rules of engagement of life with God and following those rules. And for me, that meant um, like being a good person, having your quiet times, and, um, and I was really good at this. Uh, as a kid, I was very obedient to my parents, um, respectful. Uh, if I kind of was caught doing something wrong, you would never catch me doing that again, and it's not because you just didn't catch me, it's because I just didn't do it again. Um, And this continued on into my high school years. I was not the kid who was into drinking or drugs or having sex or um, kind of doing any of these typical, um, I don't know, high school things that a lot of kids get into. And the other thing about that that was problematic um, is that I was just so successful at following the rules of engagement as I understood them in life with God. I became deeply, deeply proud of my ability to follow the rules better than everyone else. And for me, following the rules was my relationship with God. And if I'm better than everyone else at doing that, I have a better relationship with God than everyone around me. And so on the outside, I looked like a very good Christian boy. And uh, on the inside, I had some really deeply rooted darkness that I wasn't aware of. And I began to believe this lie. And I couldn't have articulated it. This is you know, years of therapy that's allowing me to articulate this lie, but this was the foundational principle by which I lived my life. If you perform well enough to meet the standard, then you will be loved and accepted. And if you do not perform well enough to meet the standard, you will not be loved or accepted. And the fact that I was so successful at performing well enough to meet the standard, really locked that in to a feeling of security. I was secure in, um, in my place with God, but not because of his unconditional love, but because of my own ability to follow the rules of engagement better than the next guy. I remember uh, a time when I realized that I had never really felt the love of my Father in heaven. I knew about it. I knew the Bible frontwards and back. I knew exactly what Scripture had to say about the unconditional love of the Father that goes beyond your ability to merit that love. And I could even feel that, uh, a connection in my heart to that truth for other people. I could articulate, I could share it. If you're going through a hard time feeling bad about yourself, I could with complete conviction and certainty share that gospel message with you. But I could never quite get my head to connect with my heart when it came to me. Um, The second born in my family, her name's Marissa. And she was the complete opposite human being from me. Um, I was the rule follower. She would also enter into a situation to discover the rules of engagement for that environment. But it wasn't so she could follow them. It's so she could be sure to break them. And yeah, now you're feeling represented too in this sermon. And um, she would like, just make up new rules just so that she could then turn and break those when she got tired of them. And it drove me insane. And I'm sorry to tell you that um, for the first probably 15 years of my sister's life, we were not friends. We weren't even like roommates who tolerated each other. We were enemies. We were enemies. We had a terrible, terrible relationship um, and it was one of the the first places that I began to become aware of my inability to perform well enough because I just couldn't get this relationship right. I thank God that um, in sometime in high school, uh, I was convicted about that and um, began to rebuild a relationship with my sister because um, shortly after that time, As she entered into high school and young adulthood, her life became very, very difficult. Uh, Marissa struggled in high school with depression, with suicidal temptation, with struggles with body image and relationships, family relationships, boy relationships friend relationships. And I thank God for the timing of his conviction in my heart because uh, I was able to walk with her in a time where she really needed it, and we grew oh so close. Oh so close. And as she grew from high school into young adulthood... Spiritually and mentally and emotionally, she began to be healed and to grow and to flourish. And it was a beautiful thing. But the problem was that as she grew spiritually, physically, she began to decline in equal and greater measure. Marissa had a long list of very rare conditions, most of which you've probably never heard of. And um, one of the biggest culprits um, was Lyme disease. You've heard of Lyme disease. It's one of the most commonly known of things that she had. Um, The thing about Lyme disease that you might not know is that it's very fluid, and it will sort of find spaces in your body that are weak, that are struggling, and just really agitate that space. And so this was a perfect combination for all her other things. She had something known as Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder that means your connective tissue doesn't hold your body together as well as it should. And every morning when she woke up, shouldn't have looked at my sister. Every morning when she woke up, she would have like a dislocated shoulder, a few fingers, and just kind of routine. Her morning routine was just fix all her joints and then get started on the day. She also had something known as gastroparesis. Gastroparesis is uh, a stomach, a digestive condition where your intestinal system doesn't process food at the rate that you need to to get enough nu- nutrients to kind of sustain a healthy body. And entering into her 22nd year of life, these conditions kind of came to a peak amongst others Um, and I remember that she was the most joyful person that I knew it's just a testament to um, her spiritual growth even in the face of incredible trial Uh, In May of 2018, her physical conditions came to a head and uh, her gastroparesis peaked to a point where she could no longer consume anything and keep it down. Um, Maybe like a couple sips of Ensure and one or two bites of a snack. Um, But maybe she'd throw that up too. And so she, uh, she lost weight and it came to a point where her doctor said, you've got to go to the hospital. You've lost too much weight, you need to get a feeding tube. And um, at this point, she only weighed 75 pounds, as a 22-year-old. And so she went to the hospital, she received a feeding tube Um, And she came home. But two days later, one of her other rare conditions that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, long QT syndrome, um, made itself known, and she suffered cardiac arrest. And she died. 2018 was... um, hardest year of my life because not only was I grieving the loss of Marissa, but through a series of circumstances, it's another story for another day, I also lost the presence of my dad in my day-to-day life. Um, And um, we're rebuilding our relationship today, um, and I'm so grateful, but... In 2018, we didn't have one. As so often happens in the face of such a catastrophe, my family felt like it was falling apart. And I came to the challenge the way that I always did. Okay, what are the rules of engagement? Okay, siblings need love and support. Depression, suicidal temptation, got them. Mom needs support and help with family leadership and financial provision, okay, got that. And um, I succeeded for a little while. I performed and I performed for about a year, when I finally came to my breaking point. And life brought me to a place of emptiness. Where I had been full of my own ability to meet the standard in my own strength. Finally, I came to the thing where I could no longer do it. And I'm not grateful what happened, but I'm so grateful for that space of emptiness. (laughs) I remember how hard it was to tell my wife that I wanted to go to therapy. And, uh, of course, she was totally great um, with it, and it was no thing, but it was really hard for someone with a performance orientation to say, I can't do it. And I wound up at a ministry called Journey You Ministries, and they're not actually a counseling service. I didn't realize that. They're a healing prayer ministry. And um, I began to journey with them on my journey of of healing. And finally, in a space of emptiness, for the first time, (laughs) I met the unconditional love of the Father, for me. When I'd come to my quiet moments, where I was at the end of myself, I didn't meet rejection and anger. I met love. And when I was finally empty enough to be filled, I saw that the Lord had our family all along there's a a beautiful little book called invitation to solitude and silence by ruth haley barton and there's in a chapter called emptiness uh, she had this to say from her own story as it turns out the presence of god is poured out most generously when there is space in our souls to receive him. In the vast emptiness of the human soul, there is finally room for God. Friends, we don't know the end of the story with the rich young ruler. We know that he went away sad, but we don't know if maybe after years of dwelling on what that good teacher said, he finally came to a space Of emptiness where he could empty himself of all that he was trusting in and go and follow Jesus. Maybe you're like me and the rich young ruler. Maybe you've been running from your space of emptiness for so long that you don't even know it exists. Maybe you're afraid of what God would do, what God would say, what God would think if you open up truly, honestly, that inner space of emptiness where you have an addiction to alcohol, or where you cheated on your spouse, or where you just can't get enough money and material possessions to comfort the inner cries of the soul. Don't hide from God any longer. In his presence, you can be your real self. Don't be so firmly clinging to the things that have filled you up with a false sense of fullness that you have no room for the love of your heavenly father. Like he always does, he looks at you and he loves you. And don't walk through that experience of emptiness alone either. Look around you. This is your church family. All of us who believe are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're here to walk through these sorts of things together. Find someone that you know or if you don't know anyone, meet someone or come up to a a pastor or uh, just someone who's serving refreshments or greeting and say, hey, I need some help. And we can walk through this together. Don't be afraid of your emptiness. Because when you finally face your emptiness, you can be filled with the loving presence of your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for not giving up on me, for loving us unconditionally. You always take us back. We don't have to meet some self-imposed standard to be accepted by you. Lord, if there are those in this room who are afraid of the emptiness of their soul, just give them a little bit of courage, some reassurance, some tangible reassurance of your presence that you love them, no matter what it is. And Father, uh, today as we enter into a time of offering we just we praise you we worship you with our gifts and we ask that you would bless the gifts that you'd multiply them to bear fruit in your kingdom and the givers to experience the freedom of generosity
0: brothers and sisters before the uh, the ushers come forward i invite you to extend a hand of blessing we're going to Uh, I came to to lay hands on my brother, Zach, to offer a word of prayer over him. If you would extend your hand in in a spirit of and a posture of blessing and thanksgiving. Lord, we come before you thankful for your grace, abundant, undeserved, unmerited, unearned, poured out upon and in and through your servant, our brother, Zach. Lord, I thank you for his emptiness. And I thank you for his fullness. And that his fullness does not come from his own performance, but it comes from you. Lord, I thank you for Marissa, and for the entire Anderson family. I pray that you would fill them as well. And I thank you that Zach is not able to be the source of that, but you are you are Lord continue to use Zach in our lives and in our community bless him and anoint him with the power of your Holy Spirit be glorified in him and through him we thank you for his vulnerability for taking a step forward in witness and we celebrate the power and the gift that is in our lives we offer you praise and thanksgiving in Jesus name amen